This is a Federal News Network podcast. Trains, planes, and other transportation sectors are being handed new cybersecurity requirements by the Biden administration. Agencies want to make sure the nation's transportation infrastructure is not susceptible to ransomware and other types of attacks. The new mandates mark a shift from a mostly voluntary approach to cybersecurity in critical infrastructure. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday reports. Last week, the Transportation Security Administration issued new cybersecurity directives for rail operators. The requirements will apply to approximately 80% of freight rail operators and 90% of passenger rail across the country. It's all part of a Department of Homeland Security cyber sprint for the transportation sector. Initiated earlier this fall, the sprint has resulted in a similar set of minimum cybersecurity measures spreading across pipelines, rail operators, airports, and other entities. During a House Transportation Committee hearing last week, lawmakers and agency officials discussed the new cybersecurity mandates. TSA's Victoria Newhouse described the impetus behind the new requirements. Cybersecurity incidents affecting transportation are a growing, evolving, and persistent threat. Malicious cyber actors continue to target U.S. critical infrastructure through transportation systems. TSA's directives to rail operators requires them to establish a round-the-clock cybersecurity coordinator. Report cybersecurity incidents to the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency within 24 hours, develop a cyber incident response plan within 180 days, and conduct a cyber self-assessment within 90 days. Those directives will go into effect on December 31st. Similar requirements are already in place for pipelines. In the wake of the Colonial Pipeline ransomware hack in May, TSA issued a directive requiring pipelines to report cyber attacks to CISA within 12 hours. It also requires the appointment of a cybersecurity coordinator and a self-assessment of cybersecurity practices. Newhouse, who serves as the Deputy Assistant Administrator for Policy Plans and Engagement at TSA, said all covered pipelines are now in compliance with that May directive. She said TSA applied lessons from the pipeline effort in developing the new directives for rail operators. And one of the biggest challenges is defining what exactly constitutes a reportable cyber incident. We've made it more effective, less broad. So it it is an actual incident that's reasonably likely to have a devastating impact on any of their systems. TSA has also added similar cybersecurity requirements to the standard security program that larger airports and airlines must follow. They're now required to appoint a cybersecurity coordinator and report cyber incidents to CISA. Future updates will include the requirement for a self-assessment and a cyber incident response plan. TSA's actions have put them out ahead of potential new legislative requirements for multiple critical infrastructure sectors. The House version of the 2022 National Defense Authorization Act would set a 72-hour cyber incident reporting requirement for all critical infrastructure operators. The Senate is considering similar legislation, but it has yet to pass the annual defense bill. Despite the momentum on setting minimum cyber standards for transportation, agencies across the federal enterprise still face challenges in communicating with the private sector on cyber threats. That's according to Nick Marinos, Director of Information Technology and Cybersecurity at the Government Accountability Office. The bottom line is that we, we are constantly operating uh, behind the eight ball. It just takes you know one successful cyber attack to take down an organization. And each federal agency, as well as owners and operators in critical infrastructure, have to protect themselves against countless numbers of attacks. We have seen consistently in our work that agencies have had uh, challenges in maintaining very uh, up-to-date sector plans that actually would talk about the cyber threats that agencies are facing and, and the infrastructure is facing today. 
Marino has also pointed to the interdependencies between critical infrastructure sectors, such as the transportation sector's reliance on communications technologies. He says a holistic national cyber strategy is required, rather than just piecemeal approaches. The challenge there is, you know, while there's there is resiliency built in in many ways to physical attacks, the cyber attacks continue to show us that we need to do more to not only shore up specific sectors, but the entire nation's approach to cybersecurity as well. Meanwhile, congressional Republicans have criticized the new rules TSA put in place for pipelines. They say TSA rushed out the requirements and didn't consult with industry experts before issuing them. Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee ranking member Rob Portman and several other Republicans have asked the DHS Inspector General to investigate how TSA developed the new requirements. During last week's hearing, Texas Republican Brian Babin acknowledged the federal government has a role to play in protecting companies from cyber attacks. But he also argued cyber intrusions are hard to track and requirements could unintentionally hurt businesses. We've got to be extraordinarily careful as lawmakers and as rulemakers that we don't meddle into something we don't properly understand and unintentionally uh, create more bloated regulation or stifle innovation with overly burdensome requirements that don't truly secure our infrastructure. Any policy that we push forward has got to be aggressive, but are consistent with our nation's founding principles. Newhouse said the agency is responding to industry's concerns as they roll out the new requirements. She said she met with freight and rail passenger executives to give them a classified briefing on cybersecurity last week. And she said TSA is giving pipeline executives regular briefings on cyber threats and the new requirements. So we have heard a a number of concerns to ensure that all operators, large and small, can apply these cybersecurity measures in an effective and efficient manner. So we we do take that into consideration and we continue to elicit feedback. We're not just done when we issue the documents. It's a continuous feedback loop and improvement, and we stand committed to that. And DHS isn't done issuing cyber requirements yet. The directives sent to both pipelines and rail operators are temporary measures issued under emergency authority. And on a background call with reporters last week, senior DHS officials said things like reporting cyber attacks to the government and having an incident response plan. Well, that's just basic good cyber hygiene in their eyes. Next year, officials say DHS will issue a formal rulemaking to implement a long-term plan for strengthening cybersecurity in the transportation sector. Justin Doubleday, Federal News Network. Check out Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands, 
Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers as others call them every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship, step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. 
That's right. And and I mentioned that I, I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at pluralsight.com vision. It's a well-known fact that good sleep leads to a happier life. Okay, maybe that's not a fact fact, but don't you just feel amazing after a great night's sleep? Like the first night back in your own bed after traveling. It's time to demand more first night back kind of sleep. Stop tossing and turning and talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day. And visit SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more.